And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Your readings, and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trott is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. (laughs) Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic, and I'm joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. So, Doug, I've relocated uh, my half of Starkville to one of your favorite places on earth, Clearwater, Florida. How jealous are you, huh? Oh, good days, good days. Although I was in Orlando not long ago, so I do feel good about hitting 85 degrees, and I will be shoveling the snowstorm that's coming to Connecticut tonight, so whatever. Okay, okay well, good. My, my heart aches for you. You know, just, just so you know, I do drive a lot here. Like, I can drive 1,500 miles in a spring easily. I've done 3,000 miles in a spring if I really oh, put my. my mind to it. I had a leisurely little 15-hour workday Saturday thanks to the mm. insane game that uh, I covered that we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, the first ever clock off <laughs> where the uh, Braves-Red Sox game ended on a pitch clock violation. Um, we're going to have a little fun with that one, but just let mm. people know. Uh, also going to talk with this week's special visitor to Starkville, the great Mets broadcaster Gary Cohen about the rules, about the Mets, and uh, just a little spoiler alert, Doug about one of the greatest moments in baseball history. And if you're Mm. a member of the Gary Cohen fan club, and you should be if you're not, then you know exactly what moment I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But first, uh, you and I need to talk about these new rules because, Mm. Doug, seriously, it's pretty close to the only thing that people in spring training are buzzing about, at least to me. (laughs) I'm just a rule change. Um, I, I just... Let's just give a quick recap of the impact mm-hmm. of the pitch clock in the first weekend. Average time of game, I believe it's 22 minutes, might be 23 minutes shorter than last year this time. Two Amazing. hours and 39 minutes, which is about what wow. uh, Major League Baseball thinks the games are going to average during the season. So well, last spring, at this point, the games were averaging over three hours. This year, as we're recording this, We've only had six games in the whole sport that have gone over three hours, and it would only be three if the Diamondbacks weren't playing. 
because <laughs> they played half of them. So oh uh, what, do you, what do you think, Doug? Um, do you see any downside to that? I don't. I'm, I'm just thinking about calling a game out west and catching a flight. I have 30 extra minutes all of a sudden, so that, that's like kind of interesting. Uh, but, you know, it's they probably are saying, like, why did we do this sooner? But, you know, I, I understand the hesitation. You know, we're the, the purest side of, like, baseball's never on, on a clock kind of thing. But it was, it was needed, and it seems like it's just reset the whole game. Well, um, it's we're, we're just beginning to reset. And, I, like, I think the games have a rhythm to them, even in spring training, that baseball games have not had in decades. Decades. Yeah. And the, those 22, 23 minutes that they have cut off the games – it's all dead time, all of it. And, I, I mean, I personally don't miss any of that. So that's the good news. But I, I do want to talk to you about what I saw Saturday. Doug, let me ask you this. What were the odds that the first game that I would attend with this clock <laughs> this spring would be just a random game, Northport, Florida, and that would be the one game, the only game in the first weekend that ended on a pitch clock violation. Is it me? Like I picked that game almost at random based on other stuff I was working on. And then that happened. Do you think there's some sort of strange but true magnetic field that hovers over my head or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, after you are what I call wackiness royalty. And I think that's great. When you enter <laughs> I mean, the that's building, a compliment, you know, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And it's just, I think it all f- sort of funnels around you uh, and it sort of flows through you. So when your presence is there, I think all the wacky things decide to show up and show off for, for what is the king. I, I, I guess I willed it. I don't know. I don't know how I did, but apparently I did. My wife even said when I walked in the door 15 hours after I left, like, you made this happen. You wanted this to happen. You willed it to happen. Maybe I did. I didn't know I did. But let me let me tell you about how that game ended and how nuts it was. Um, I don't know how much people have focused on the details, but it's the bottom of the ninth. The Red Sox blow a three-run lead. The game's going to take like 220. <laughs> All hell breaks loose. So they blow a three-run lead. It's 6-6. So Alex Cora brings in a minor league pitcher named, I'm going to try to pronounce this right, Robert Kwiatkowski. Okay, so it's two outs, bases loaded. He goes three and two on the hitter. I, I want you to hear what happened next. Uh-oh. And now what? He's out. They have called strike three. Wow! <laughs> this is mayhem! Oh! Automatic strike three called with the bases loaded in a tie game in the bottom of the ninth. Is baseball in 2023? Oh, the two strike strikeout. That's it. <laughs> That's right. You got all that, Doug? That was a pitcher striking out a hitter on a three and two pitch that he never actually threw. <laughs> Doug, you have any thoughts just on that concept? Well, I, I think he just stared it into existence. Sometimes that's the power of the mind. You could stare your way into a strikeout. Uh, that's the next level. I think that's where baseball is going to go. And eventually you have money ball. You're going to have ESP ball, ESP ball where people can see the future clairvoyance ball. So um, that's must have been what happened there. 
I don't know. I guess. <laughs> okay. So, look, here's the backstory that I think will explain why everyone in the park was so totally confused by what got called there. Um, okay, so the, uh, the, the, the pitch is thrown. It's three and two. The catcher is this guy named Eli Marrero. He throws the ball back to the pitcher. So what happens? The clock starts. But then, yes. okay, he's standing up and he's signaling to the infielders, all right, if there's a ground ball hit, the play's at first base. Of course, three, you know, three, two, two outs. Let's get this game over with. And so as he's doing all this, the clock is ticking down and he's still standing there. So the genius. hitter. This Total guy, Cal, genius right there. Genius turned out will. to be. He didn't know it was. Yeah. But, okay, so the hitter is this guy, Cal Conley. So he's not looking at the pitcher. He's totally yeah. distracted by the catcher who's standing right. there a few inches away from him. And because the catcher is standing and he's not crouching, the pitcher never throws a pitch. And now the clock mm -hmm. is down to zero. Umpire's right. waving his arms. So the hitter thinks right. he just walked. The managers of, of both teams think he just walked. The guy yeah. on the mound tells me later he had no idea what just happened. <laughs> he just walked in the winning run despite yeah. never throwing a pitch. But that is not the call. The plate ump rules that despite all this chaos that's going all around, around this guy, the hitter still needs to be looking at the pitcher with eight seconds left on the clock. Apparently that's true if there's an earthquake, hurricane, yeah. whatever. Okay, that's, But because he's looking at the catcher and not the pitcher, the call is violation on him, and he's out. And mm -hmm. that seemed totally illogical to me. It obviously seemed illogical to Cal Conley, who's the hitter. MLB said that's the correct call. Mm -hmm. um, right? My personal opinion is it can't be. The pitcher is not ready to pitch. The catcher is ready is not ready to catch, and somehow it's the hitter who's out. But that's that right. is not what MLB told us, or they told both teams. So, Doug, who's right? Is it MLB and the umpire, or is it me? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, 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 I like where I guess I like where they're going here. I, I think they're. I, you have to be in some sort of special Zen mode as a hitter, and you need to be in the box. Staring, if a pitcher could be invisible, you got to be locked in. It's like hitting off of Iron Mike in the batting cage <laughs> when you go, you know, to Lynnhurst, New Jersey, and hitting the cage. You got to be in the zone. So it looks, it's going to look a little weird and it's a little awkward that you're standing in the box ready to hit. There's nobody there. But that was the genius of Marrero to create the distraction. It's sort of like in, in Puerto Rico, we had like the salsa band. You, you, that, that is a genius move. By Marrero, you create the band, you have the music, you have fireworks going off, the hitter doesn't know what's going on, and then his eight seconds runs out. And you do it at the bottom of the ninth with two outs, two strikes, basically. Genius. So I think all these teams are going to come up with all kinds of strategies against that. There are, there are going to be a lot of great strategies. Oh, uh, I, absolutely. Um, is it genius if you don't do it on purpose? Because I'm pretty sure you didn't. <laughs> okay. It's sort of a surprise genius. That's it. It's, it's when you surprise yourself. Yeah, I guess unintentional genius. genius might be a thing. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, one more thing before we bring in Gary Cohen. When a game ends on a clock violation, what yeah. should we call it? Um, you might remember, it's a crazy thing. Okay, I wrote my big, big spring preview column a week or so ago. And in that column, I quoted an executive of one team literally 
asking me that question. What are we going to call it when it happens? Because it's totally going to happen. And then I'm there when it happens. Uh, But after our friend Mike Farron, you know, of SiriusXM and MLB Network Radio, read the column, he had the answer. He told me it's a clock off. I loved it. I used it. I'm in. Doug, are you in on clock off or you have a better term? Well, I do like clock off, I, but I start thinking about you're leaving the field, right? I, well, it's not a victory, right? So that's the thing. I always think of off as like you, you beat the team and they're walking off the field. So it's kind of a tie. Yeah, but so, they're walking off the field because they weren't going to play extra innings, right? So Yeah, it, there's no victory, though. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if you have a victory clause in that one. But, you know, I thought about something like a stun off. Like you stun them, Yeah, you know, almost like, yeah, it's kind of a feeling like that. Or like you're sneaking off. You're more like sneaking off because it's like you didn't. You're not walking off with bravado and excitement. You're kind of like slinking and skulking off because you don't really know what happens. So it could be a baffle off because you didn't know the rule. So I, I think we got to work on that. But baffle if off. it's about tying the game, then maybe you go to like like a knot, like a knot off, or like a tourniquet. Maybe you just come up with a single term like a tourniquet. It just turns into a tie, and that's it. All <laughs> circulation's cut off and. Everybody's walking off the field. So, yeah, but it's something to do. He kind of undid the walk-off. It would have been a walk-off if it was ball four, but then they undid it and put the person in reverse. So it's kind of a mess right there. But the thing I really would like is I still think they need a challenge flag. And if they do that, it's, it's first of all, it's obvious that it has to be the color of molasses, which is like a deep brown, to indicate that it's taking forever. Uh, and I would be absolutely excited if it was like, if it wasn't molasses colored, I'd go with the Trinidadian flag in honor of my father. <laughs> so you could throw that on the field. So I think there's a lot of things, a lot of ways we can go with this for sure. It, it was a stunoff. I, I will. I'll, I'll stunned, that right? part. I, I mean, it was it was the most what just happened moment ever. I you know I talked sure. to that. I talked to the pitcher. Okay, just nobody else wanted to talk to him. Just me and him. And he, I, I said, didn't that? Did, did you, like when that happened, and that call gets made didn't you have a what just happened moment? And he said, I honestly had no idea what happened. <laughs> I I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if he was out. I didn't know if he was safe. I didn't know whether we won. I didn't know what, what it was. And I, I, that's exactly right. I, I can tell you, Doug, I never had a harder time in my life trying to describe <laughs> anything that happened in a baseball game than I had with that. Well, even with Javi Baez, remember he got the rundown. Yeah, that was a good one. Home and first. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was similar. But I wasn't there in person. I was at this, and all all it did was make it harder to tell the story. Uh, look, there's way more to kick around. So uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get back to this later in the show when we get to the dugout segment. I, I think we can still have more fun with this because that's what we do here. So stay tuned Sorry. for that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, time to welcome in this week's very special visitor to Starkville. It's the point guard for the best TV booth in baseball. The great play-by-play voice of the Mets on SNY, Gary Cohen. Gary, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. This is uh, this is outstanding. What a, what a special treat to be with you two. The treat is ours. Could, could this really be your first visit to Starkville? Is that true? Uh, so far. I mean, you never uh. know what will happen after today. You may never want to have me again, but for now, <laughs> this is my maiden voyage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm not worried about you burning your bridges here. <laughs> I uh, never know. It, it could be a three-hour tour, like, you know, <laughs> Gilligan's Island. Yeah, you never know. That's right. Uh, all right, look, we have so much to get to. I don't know how we cannot start with the new rules and the pitch clock. Uh, I, I was at the crazy Red Sox-Braves game that ended in that clock-off call, and it was con- – Gary, it was confusing, man. I'm still confused. So, I, I mean, you – You've now called some games with this clock ticking. How conscious are you as you're calling these games that that clock is ticking? You know, we've done two games so far as we speak, um, and we haven't had any violations in either one of those games. And the first couple of innings of the first game, I was very, very conscious of the clock, and I think the players were as well. Um, But you really, you forget about it. And what, what I've found is that the pace of the game is not particularly fast. It's just what we were used to back, say, when I started broadcasting the Mets. So we're talking about 35 years ago. This was the pace that the game was played at. And you had routine two-hour and 20-minute, two-hour, 30-minute games. It didn't mean you didn't have occasionally a three- or a a three-and-a-half-hour game. But this is the pace at which the game is meant to be played. And at some point, it slowed itself down to a crawl. And I think this is a a welcome change. Now, are are people looking for ways to mess with the rules and and gain an advantage any way you can? Absolutely. We saw Max Scherzer do it yesterday. Um, He had a situation with a runner on base where the hitter had already taken his time out. And he came set with about 11 on the pitch clock and (laughs) held it down to one. Now, as it turned out, the hitter got a little ground ball single through the right side. But, you know, you can certainly mess with the hitter's timing if you are the pitcher. I think the pitcher has an enormous advantage. I think it's a much greater burden on the hitters because, you know, pitching is proactive and hitting is reactive. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But a couple of days into spring training, I think this is the greatest thing baseball has done in a long, long time. Yeah, the games are 23 minutes faster on average so far than last spring. And who that, that's fine with me. Um, you know, I did watch some of that game on Sunday, and a couple of things struck me. One was Max. You know, I, I, you know, the first inning that he pitched, oh, my God, did he work fast. I was, I was hypnotized by how fast Max Scherzer was getting the ball, locking in, and he was ready to rock. I mean, did he, had, he feel had like a, that, that fast? He had an at-bat against Joey Manassas. He struck him out. 
in 27 seconds. From the start of the at-bat to the end of the at-bat, three pitches, 27 seconds. That's that's exactly the way it was going. He's going to just lean into this in every way, isn't he? Absolutely. He's been thinking about this for a year since before they even announced that the rules were going to be changed. He's been thinking about ways to work it to his advantage. This is what competitive people do. Um, as, as Doug well knows, it, it's it, it will be easy at some point for everybody to adjust to the rules, but it's the most competitive guys who will take best advantage of the rules. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, you know, or one more thing that really struck me, this is kind of related development, is it felt like, all right, those, those, like those one, two, three innings, um, you know, one of the fun things about watching you, Ron Darling, Keith Hernandez, is just the banter. But it felt like the banter had to be really tight because the, the game was zipping along. Is that something you were ready for? You know, it's something we, we talked about beforehand, um, and it's something we're going to have to adjust to as we go. One of the things I like about the, the new rules is that they decided to enforce them strictly from day one. They didn't let guys ease into it. And I think that's important, especially – since you have a lot of players who are going to believe, be leaving for a period of time to play in the WBC that will not be using the rules in the tournament. So to get everybody up to speed so that a situation like you had in that Boston-Atlanta game happens in February and it doesn't happen later on in, in games that matter. Um, I think the biggest um, impediment is going to be in close games late. That's when you really don't mind the game slowing down, where you're savoring the anticipation of every pitch. And I think it may feel a little sped up at that point. But where we'll really enjoy it is in those 10-to-1 games in the sixth inning where the guy comes out of the bullpen who hasn't pitched in 10 days and is trying to make an impression on his manager and takes 45 seconds between pitches. Those are the, the, the games that are going to be tightened up and, and made palatable. But... You know, from a broadcasting perspective, there's no question. We have to adjust, too. Um, and we certainly found that in the, the first two games. We need to get in and out a little faster, complete our thoughts a little better. It's a little harder to do a, an extended story unless you get a few foul balls. So um, it, it definitely will have an impact. I mean, you're shaving a, a half an hour off the time available to, to gab and, um, and make fools of ourselves, which, you know, might work in our favor. <laughs> Well, thank goodness we're not paid for the hour in, in the color analyst booth <laughs> right. there. That would be problematic. <laughs> as you know, as long as it as long as it'll pay us by the hour, I think I think it works to everybody's benefit. <laughs> right. well, well, Gary, I'm I'm curious your conversations with players about it because it's one thing just to say, okay, it's just faster or, or at least it has a better tempo. Are the players speaking anything about how it's impacting their performance? I know as a hitter, like feeling rushed or do you, do you feel like there's a communication around the adjustments they're making in-game around it? You know, from, from a hitter standpoint, you know, the Mets have two guys who have traditionally taken a long time, uh, Mark Canna and Pete Alonso. And Canna appears to have adjusted very quickly. I think Pete's trying to figure it out. You know, he was one of those guys who would step out of the box and he'd look up and he'd take the deep <laughs> breath and visualize and, and then take a couple of half swings. And he just doesn't have time to do that anymore. So... Um, interestingly, in the first spring training game he played, you know, he quickened up that whole thing and he hit a home run his first time up and got base <laughs> hits the next two times. So it didn't seem to affect him too much. But you know, he acknowledged that he's still trying to figure out what the best tempo is. But 
again, I, Doug, I think everybody's going to adjust. And, and frankly, I, I think one of the, the byproducts is going to be with pitchers working faster, I think it's going to diminish velocity somewhat. I think it also might improve control somewhat, that pitchers will be pitching in a better rhythm. And I think, again, that works to everybody's benefit, right? The decreased velocity and the, the better control makes for a cleaner game and maybe for a little more offense, especially when you combine it with the new shift rules. You know, Gary, I know that Buck Showalter has some tricks up his sleeve. <laughs> he, he was peppering me with questions one day about these rules that I, I know I couldn't answer them. I can only imagine what Theo Epstein has heard from Bug Shoulder. Okay, so what do you think some of those tricks might be? You know, I think it's mostly about um, maximizing the ability of guys to have enough time. Like, for instance, um, we talked about Alonzo. In that first spring game, there was a half inning when he was in the field, but he was due to bat first the next inning. And when the third out was made, he sprinted full speed into the dugout <laughs> so he'd have a little more time. Buck has talked about taking his best bat boy on the road with him, which teams don't generally do, because <laughs> oh, bat boy be strategy. More, more prepared to get the equipment into the hands of the players quicker so that they have better able to take advantage of that 30 seconds that they have um, between batters to come to the plate. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that, that Buck thinks about because, you know, he, he, he operates on a level that most of us can, can never even dream of. <laughs> You don't think all 30 teams are looking at their bat boy depth chart? So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you mentioned with the, in the clock, you talked about shifting. Uh, in terms of players talking about that kind of adjustment as a hitter, I mean, what have you seen so far in that regard? Well, the left-hand hitters are thrilled. I mean, if you're <laughs> if you're Daniel Vogel back, you just had 50 points in it's your batting average. <laughs> I mean, what I'm going to find interesting are a couple of things. One, with the extreme left-hand pull hitters, the Joey Gallows of the world, how many teams will defend him by bringing the left fielder in to play that shallow right field that the you know the shift fielder was playing um, in in past years? Um, also, what are the gaps going to be on the left side of the infield against those left-hand hitters? Are you going to play the third baseman closer to home, or are you going to crowd him with the shortstop? Because I know. Um, Francisco Lindor talked about this last year that he felt as though sometimes his, his fellow fielders were too close to him and he'd rather have more room to range. So I think that's going to be a team-by-team -team adjustment. Um, your second baseman, do you play him more toward the hole or do you take away more of the middle, play the first baseman further off the bag so he can cover more ground on that right side. I think everybody's going to be trying to figure those things out as we go because, you know, the solutions that were available last year against, particularly against the left-hand pull hitters, are, are no longer available. So I think it's going to be fascinating to watch how teams adjust. Yeah, we'll be digging in on this stuff all spring and, and, and certainly all season. Let's turn to the Mets, okay? Because I know I've always wondered what a $355 million baseball team might look like. <laughs> and now we know. Uh, so as you look at the Mets right now, as those palm trees are fluttering in the breeze, how much better do you think that they could be than last year? I don't think the goal is to be better than last year in the regular season. I think uh, anybody would sign up for 101 wins right now. And I I think what the Mets did by spending $355 million was really stay about the same. I mean, when you think about what they did, they re-signed Nemo, which they really had to do. 
They re-signed Diaz, so that gives them the, the, the closer that dominated the game last year. So they, they, they stayed the same at those positions. They replaced DeGrom with Verlander. I think that's a pretty even trade. They replaced Taiwan Walker and uh, Chris Bassett with Kodai Senga, who's the biggest wild card in all this, and Jose Quintana. And I think they probably stayed about the same in those three and four starter roles. So they're and their offensive team is basically the same. They they swapped out James McCann and brought in Omar Narvaez as part of their catching tandem. But otherwise, it's the same team. Now, their their young players are a little closer to being ready. The Brett Beatty's, Francisco Alvarez's, uh, Mark Vientos's, and uh, Ronnie Mauricio's. So they've got those position players, you know, rising. All who might help them at some point during the season. The bullpen's a little bit better. Um, they brought in David Robertson, who takes Seth Lugo's spot, and they brought in Brooks Raley, who gives him a lefty that they didn't have last year. So on the margins in the bullpen, they're a little bit better. But really, because they didn't have the um, super pitching prospects ready in the minor leagues, they basically had to spend as much money as they did to stay the same. And I think, again, anybody would sign up for 101 wins um, just hoping maybe that the Braves don't win as many and hoping that maybe it's not the Phillies who go to the World Series this year, it's the Mets. I mean, those three teams are going to have an incredible battle. Um, last year was the, the the Mets and Braves pulling away and the Braves overlapping the Mets in the last week. But, you know, the Phillies having the last laugh, um, who knows what happens among the three of them this year. I do know that all three of them will have fewer opportunities to beat up on the Marlins and the Nationals because of the new schedule. And so that changes the dynamic a little bit also. Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting question. Um, it's such a monster division. Do you see anything that right now in February separates one of these teams, Mets, Braves, Phillies, from the others? Well, I think the Phillies got better. I mean, just by signing Trey Turner, they yeah. got better. But I think their bullpen is also deeper now. Um, you know, bringing in Kimbrell is a big, big piece. Uh, Matt Strom is a big piece. Um, they, they've got a better bullpen. Um, they brought in Taiwan Walker from the Mets to solidify their rotation. And I think they're younger players. I mean, bringing in Brandon Marsh last year was a really underrated move. He did such a great job for them and made them a much better defensive team where obviously they were lacking earlier in the year. Bryson Stott got better as the year went along. Alec Bohm got better as the year went along. So I think the Phillies are better um, than they were last year. But, you know, they only won 87 games in the regular season, 14 games behind the Mets and the Braves. So um, they had some ground to make up as far as the division is concerned. And the Braves are you know, pretty much the same. I mean, they're, they've got incredible young talent um, that you would assume is going to be on the rise. The big question is at shortstop with Dansby Swanson gone and Vaughn Grissom trying to take his place. But they also get Mike Soroka back. Hopefully his hamstring is better now that he's overcome uh, two years with the Achilles injury. Um, you know, So that solidifies their young rotation even further. So I, I think all teams are going to be really good. I think all three are capable of winning 95 to 100 games, and you know that makes for a great pennant race. And, you know, I... I loved the, the the unbalanced schedule. I loved 19 games against division rivals. I think rivalries are what the game is all about. I am not a proponent of playing as many interleague games as you are now and playing everybody. 
you can see everybody on TV. You know, every game's on every night. There's no reason that you have to bring every team into every stadium. Um, I, I think that the, the schedule is way too diluted now. It, it was, it was, I liked it the way it was, but you know, this is going to be different and everybody's going to have to be able to prepare for every team in baseball at some point, but it, it, it certainly doesn't make the, the division races as um, interesting coming down the stretch, not playing as many games against your own group. Well, you know, somebody has written about this and actually was talking to the Braves coaches about it the other day. There is another side to it when you've got a division like this where potentially you've got three playoff teams in one division. Um, it really makes the wild card race more fair. You know, they, there was such a disparity between the number of games that the NLEs teams had to play against winning teams versus like the Central last year. Um and I don't remember the, the, the numbers off the top of my head, but I, if I remember this correctly, I think the Cardinals only played 60 games against teams with winning records, and the NLEs teams are playing 80. And it, so there's a lot to be said for if you have a wild card race, 90 wins means the same thing in the NLEs as it means if you do it in the NL Central. Well, the Mets will argue that over the years they've been penalized more than any team in interleague play, and they'll continue to be because they have to play extra games against right. the Yankees every year. So, yeah, and there's also that. Okay. Well, Gary, I'm curious about how you look at last season. You know, the reflection upon this great year, and I was in Atlanta for that last series where just it just sort of stopped. Um, and I guess Degrom is the centerpiece of those questions. I mean, how do you now contextualize that? after kind of seeing the team and, and I guess, how do they talk about it looking forward? You know, the funny thing is that all year long, the questions were about the Mets offense. You know, do they have enough power? Do they have enough run scoring ability? And as it turned out, they, you know, they were not a great power hitting team, but they were an awfully good run scoring team. Um, the assumption was that once you got to the short series, whether it was late in the year or in the postseason that the Mets one-two punch at the front of their rotation with uh, DeGrom and Scherzer would be able to dominate, and that would get the Mets deep into the postseason. Well, as it turned out, when they got to the biggest games of the year, they played six of them, three against the Braves on the last weekend of the season and three against the Padres, and they got poor starting pitching in five of those six games. The only well-pitched game was DeGrom in game two against the Padres, and that was a, a good start, not a great one. Scherzer you know, battled that that oblique injury in the middle of the season, came back, looked like he was fairly healthy, but, um, you know, I think he tweaked it again in September, and he certainly was not himself in either of his two starts against the Braves and the Padres. So, um, you know, they put themselves in the same position this year where they're going to be very dependent on the top two guys in their rotation. Now it's Scherzer and Verlander, and you know, one is 38 going on 39. It'll be 39 by October, and the other one is 40. So you worry about that um, because the average age of the Mets starting pitching staff is 35, and overall they'll probably have the oldest team in the majors. So um, I think the faster games will help in terms of keeping people healthy, but it's certainly going to be the main area of concern. And, um you know, you, you prepare the best you can for the best possible outcomes when the games mean the most. But as you guys know as well as anybody, um, in a short series, it's a crapshoot. Um, it's all about how well you're playing at that time, how healthy you are at that time. And the Mets did not get the best out of their best two players 
Scherzer and DeGrom at the most important time. All right, I got a fun question for you about Scherzer and Verlander. They're honestly two of my favorite pitchers to watch ever, but you just mentioned one's 38, one's 40. Here's a all right, here's the question. Last year, Max and DeGrom made 34 starts between them. Do Scherzer and Verlander make more than that or fewer than that at their age? Well, they better make more than that or the Mets aren't <laughs> going anywhere. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, Verlander, Verlander last year arguably had one of the most stunning years that any pitcher has any, ever had. When you consider his age and coming off Tommy John surgery, to put up that kind of year, 1.75 ERA at age 39, I mean, he is just an off-the-charts competitor and a guy who fashions himself as a latter-day Tom Brady, a guy who can pitch at that level till he's 45. I'm not even going to say Nolan Ryan because, you know, he was on a, a Mount Olympus all by himself in terms of his <laughs> longevity as a power pitcher. And I think Max feels similarly that, that because he is a guy who is fastidious about the way he um, cares for himself and the way that he has adjusted um, over the years, that he can continue to be successful well into his 40s. It remains to be seen. I think it's certainly the biggest question about this team. But, yeah, they the, if the two of them don't make more starts than, than Scherzer and DeGrom made last year, then the Mets, for all the money that they spent, have a significant problem. Yeah, I agree. All right, look, I, I want to talk a little bit about you and your career because I cannot believe that you and Ron and Keith are about to start It's your 18th season together. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. The longest run of any three-man booth in history. I don't look, think that's strictly true. I think that... Uh, just Skip Mets Perry, history, is it? Yeah, Mets are Skip Carey, Pete Van Weeren, and Ernie Johnson. I think they had 33 years, okay. the three of them together. All but right. yeah, um, Lindsey Nelson, Bob Murphy, Ralph Kiner, the original three broadcasters for the Mets, they had a 17-year run together. All right, so you grew up a Mets fan. Mm -hmm. If I had told you, <laughs> you when you were 12 years old that you would wind up not just calling games of the team you rooted for, but you would be in a booth together with your guys longer than Lindsey Nelson, Bob Murphy, and Ralph Kiner, what would you have said? Um, well, when I was 12, I still aspired to be uh, the shortstop for the Mets. <laughs> and and that thing really did not work out very well. Um, just, I had limited skills. My You and my Lindor, son, very close. Yeah, my <laughs> second biggest dream was to be a power forward for the Knicks. Um, <laughs> But, um, you know, lack of, uh, of that appropriate height and, and a lack of skill um, precluded that. So um, at that age, I wasn't even thinking about um, the possibility that this was the career that I was going to pursue. But um, it's amazing. I mean, I grew up listening to Bob and Lindsay and Ralph. I had them on my transistor radio under my pillow for West Coast night games. I mean, they were the... They were the um, soundtrack of my summers, and they were the voices that meant Mets baseball. Um, just to have the opportunity to sit next to Bob Murphy for 15 years in the radio booth, um, I mean, I pinched myself every day that, that this was actually happening. Um, and uh, I, was, I was a radio chauvinist, and I really had no intention of ever <laughs> moving over to TV. 
but when SNY started, um, they they courted me, and I I reluctantly accepted. I never could have dreamed it would have gone this well. I mean, I think that um, Keith and Ron and I have had a, a really special bond, and I think it started from day one because honestly, when they put us together in 2006, none of us really had any idea what we were doing. I mean, I was a radio <laughs> guy moving to TV. Keith had kind of dabbled, but he hadn't taken it seriously. And Ronnie had done one year in Washington with very little direction and really was not particularly accomplished. And so I think we all leaned on each other from day one. And I, I think that as a big uh, a piece of why we've been as successful as we've had, we have, because you know nobody wants to be the star. Everybody allows everybody else to shine. We genuinely get along with each other and we have a lot of fun. Um, and I think, you know, I think being in a dark room when we started and not really knowing what direction we were going, we kind of had to hold hands to find our way. And I, and I think we've done that. Well, Gary, I know a lot of times in baseball, you talk about pay it forward. It's such a mentorship. Uh, I guess what's that been like? You mentioned as a young kid loving the Mets as a fan. But now you're in this chair and you're offering insights and wisdom. Have you had that chance to really pass it on, pay it forward? Oh, yeah. I, I talk to young broadcasters all the time. And uh, in fact, the Mets are bringing in two um, guys in their 20s this year to work with Howie Rose on radio. Keith Rad, who had been in uh, Brooklyn doing A-ball games, who I just heard him first two games that he did. He is he's a star in the making. And um, Pat McCarthy, Tom's son. Um, is going to be doing the pre and post and, and probably about 40 games on play-by-play -play when Howie's off. Um, and uh, Pat's a great young broadcaster, and I've known him since he was a little kid. So, it, you know, talking to those guys, uh, I just got a, a, an email from a, a college freshman at North Carolina yesterday um, looking for advice. I, I try to be as helpful and as honest with, with all of those young broadcasters as I can. But one of the things that has really impressed me over the last dozen years or so is how much young talent is coming into our business. Um, I think there was a while there where I felt as though um, some of the, the people who would be best suited to being broadcasters were choosing other fields. But I think that it's become, um, because of the the spread of, of different cable networks and, and, and the, 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 the greater availability availability of sports on radio and TV has attracted more really bright, talented young people into the business. And I, I really enjoyed talking to them and I, I try to do as much as I can for them. Well, Gary, you are so good at what you do that I would honestly stop what I was doing and tune in <laughs> to listen to you ordering a pizza. <laughs> and I mean that. You know, but I really I, love love the mushrooms, like the anchovies. Not a big fan of the pineapple, the Hawaiian pizza. I could really do without. All right, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a Gary orders pizza segment before we get out of here. But <laughs> I want to talk about an epic call you made a few years back. You and I have talked about it before. We need to hear it one more time. Long looking for his first hit of the year. Oh. He drives one. Deep left field. That goes Upton. Back near the wall. It's out of here. <laughs> Bartolo has done it. The impossible has happened. The team vacates the dugout as Bartolo takes the long trot. His first career home run. And there will be nobody 
in the dugout to greet him. This is one of the great moments in the history of baseball. Ah, goosebumpy. <laughs> All right, let me ask you about two things that you said there. The impossible has happened. How impossible did that seem until it happened? Well, you had to have watched Bartolo over his previous two seasons with the Mets. Um, the utter futility of Bartolo at the plate when he first joined them was so comical, it was riveting. I mean, he would swing and miss, and his helmet would fly off, and his body would go in one direction, and his bat would go in another direction, and he had no chance. I mean, there was no chance. However, he did work at it, and and, uh, that was in May of of that season, and and earlier in the year, he had had a couple of hits, a couple of hard hit balls down the line, and but still, I mean, he was 42 years old. Nobody that old had ever hit their first major league home run. And, I mean, he's big and strong, so you figure if he got it on the fat part of the bat, I guess it was conceivable. But I, I think when we talked about it earlier, Jason, one of the things that I said was, that there are certain moments in baseball that you can't anticipate, right? Somebody's approaching a record or a team's about to clinch or it, it, you're in a situation for a game-winning hit. You know, you're you're kind of at the edge of your seat and ready for it. But here's a situation where it's a May game, the pitcher's up, you're ready to talk about anything but, you're sitting back in your chair, and this happens. And I think that's what makes the game so delightful. And it's... You know, maybe I'm 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 biased, but what one of the things that's unfortunate about the way the game has now developed is that that moment is not possible anymore, and yeah, I think sure. that that's that takes a little bit of the joy out of the game because you know as as much as pitchers are no, were known for their hitting futility, every once in a while those things would happen, um, and they brought such great joy. You know you're preaching to the choir there, man. Yeah, oh, for and sure. I, we've gotten a lot of entertainment. Well, of remember pitchers. Scherzer gave up that grand slam off of a pitcher, right? You yes, remember Scherzer did. gave up? That was like to a relief grand. pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> Guy never had a hit before about, or since. How about the the game that um, that uh, the first time Clemens faced the Mets after he hit Piazza and they had in the World Series was two years later, and Sean Estes was Sean Estes, oh, even, yes. even though he wasn't. He wasn't on the team when, when Piazza <laughs> got hit, and so he oh, was yeah. supposed to hit Clemens, but he missed him, and he threw it behind him. But then he came up against Roger, and he hit a home run against him. <laughs> it was the best revenge of all. So, so I mean, those things, again, they're not possible anymore, but we move on. Uh, all right, this, the second thing that stood out about your call, I mean, many things did, but one of the great moments in the history of baseball. <laughs> so we got Aaron 755th homer, Rose passes Ty Cobb and Bartolo's homer. That, that about right? <laughs> Here all, here's all I know. He said, what are we, eight years later? And we're still talking about it. That's right. Right? I mean, it, it's when, when Met fans talk about their favorite moments, there's Andy Chavez's catch, which came in a loss, and that since the Mets last won the World Series. Those, those are the, the most favorite moments that I hear about from Met fans. Um, so, I mean, I might've been a little bit tongue in cheek when I said that at the time, <laughs> but the fact is that it has endured in a way that, that few moments um, have. So take it, take it well, for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Well, speaking of Met fans, Gary, you know, I grew up in North Jersey, Teaneck, so I knew a lot of Met fans. I still know a lot here in Connecticut. And I know some of them are having a little trouble being kind of like the favorite in some ways. You know, like, it's like, I don't know what to do with all this money. I'm supposed to complain that we don't have enough money. I mean, what have you heard about the tone of that? Because I feel like a lot of Met fans are struggling being in this, like, financial advantageous position that they're in. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I kind of liken it to the Red Sox fans for, for all those years after uh, they, they, they last won it in 1918. And, um, you know, they loved being the, the, the fans who were never fulfilled. Same with the Cub fans <laughs> to a certain extent. But, you know, once Red Sox fans got the taste of it, all of a sudden they became the spoiled fans like the Yankee fans <laughs> used to be. So things you have to adjust over time. You know, the Cubs won a World Series. The Red Sox have won multiple World Series. Maybe the Mets' time has come. It's been since 1986. You know, my, my partners are revered for be, having been a part of the Mets' last championship, but I think they're a little tired of that having been <laughs> the Mets' last championship. So if they have to spend the most money to win a title, I think they'd be in favor of that. But, you know, as we've been talking there are no guarantees. I mean, the Angels have spent a lot of money over the last dozen years, and they have two of the best players in the history of the game. But they haven't won anything since uh, 2002. So um, nothing is guaranteed. You still have to play 162 games, and, you know, a month from now, we'll be ready for that. <laughs> well, they're definitely built to win the World Series. All you have to do is just actually do that. Right. Seems easy enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, before we let you go, Gary, I, I, I want to ask you about one more epic call of yours that always makes me smile you don't know what i'm going to get to do you it's the bug call <laughs> you're doing oh, a game between the mets and the marlins this is last year am i right and and there's uh, a yeah, i think it was during the um was it last year or was it during the the year we called the games remotely i'm i'm not certain okay i can't remember myself anymore but there's a all right it's mets marlins and there's a bug on the camera Behind home plate. Uh, here, here's how you turn that little buggy ride into broadcasting magic. There's a bug right on the infield. It's it's moving in from the mound. It's heading toward the plate. It's veering off toward third base. Oh, it's making a beeline for the catcher. <laughs> some, might, some might argue that's the best bug we use every any night. <laughs> it's heading for the wall. It's out of here. The bug is out of here. You know, I took a little inspiration from Kevin Harlan, who's become the master right. at calling the, uh, the, uh, the the miscreants running on the field or an animal <laughs> running across the, the football field. So uh, Kevin has become the uh, the standard by which all el all others are judged on the uh, the alien presence on the broadcast <laughs> and doing play by play of such. So I, I took a little inspiration there. Yeah, but see, you could have ignored that bug. You went the other way. You leaned into all access bug coverage. We, you know, when when we put up a graphic that's misspelled, we don't we don't ignore it. We 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 go right we for it. it. You know, it's live TV. All sorts of stuff happens, and um, I think that people really enjoy if you enjoy the glitches. Um, I remember one time we were doing a game at, at City Field, or maybe it was at Shea Stadium. And um, yeah, it had to be Shea Stadium. And Pedro Martinez was pitching, and in the middle of the inning, the sprinklers went off on the infield. And you know, there are certain pitchers who would have been upset and and let it throw them. 
Pedro started dancing through the raindrops. <laughs> and so you gotta you gotta go with the flow. And and I think that that's a big part of what live TV is all about. Um, we, we're not perfect. Um, the broadcast isn't perfect. The announcers aren't perfect. And if there's a way of making light of whatever is going on, we're we're gonna go straight into the light. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. Yes, the improv. And uh, yes, and uh, absolutely. <laughs> That's improv. Yes, and. <laughs> you're talking no, to two. Yeah, no. Okay. Yeah, it's. Go ahead, Jay. No, I was going to say, you're talking to two guys who uh, went golfing with Kyle Schwarber and JT Arumuto on our last yes, show and did. didn't even know we were. There you go. <laughs> but that's how the show. So, like, we did the show. They did their show from a golf course. They did it. Okay. Totally. <laughs> Let's do that. So, well, one thing I wanted to, wanted to find out with Gary was like with with Buck Showalter, who was my manager in Texas. And is there any one story that stands out about like working with Buck? It's it's like it's always majestic every day. <laughs> All I can tell you is every day. I mean, the man is 66, 67 years old. Every day he comes with energy. Every day he comes with stories. He comes with an agenda. He may not always directly answer the question you're asking him, but the answer is always fascinating and sometimes Absolutely. goes in a direction that you could never have anticipated. He is the master of all he surveys. He sees everything. He takes note of everything. He questions everything that he doesn't quite understand. Some of the questions might be a little you know passive aggressive but still <laughs> he knows exactly what he's doing and what he's seeing and what he wants to accomplish at all times there um there is nothing that gets by him i am never endingly fascinated by this man he is um he's one of the the, the more uh cerebral and unique individuals i've ever met in the game your your network televises his post-game Q&A with the media. And that is one wild ride, man. It is something. Right? Pre-game, post-game, every day. <laughs> it's always fascinating. Do not tune away. <laughs> For sure. All right. I, I know it's time to let you go, but right, we started this. We're going to finish this. This is the moment that you've waited for. Gary Cohen is going to order an imaginary pizza. <laughs> well, I'd like it uh, 18 inches. I'd like it with a thick crust. And I would like anchovies and mushrooms and half of it with pepperoni. Could you have it here in 20 minutes? Uh, I can't, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's somebody else you could call that could probably pull it off. I'm, Doug and I are not that person. But I think we proved we really can get sheer joy out of hearing Gary Cohen order pizza. Right, so, Gary, you're the best. It was awesome to talk to you. I, I can't thank you enough for fitting us in. I look forward to seeing you down the road. Have a great spring and come back again sometime, okay? Thank you, guys. It was fantastic being with you. And um, uh, good luck. This is uh, this podcast has just gone through the roof. I'm very, very impressed, but it shouldn't surprise me at all. You guys are the best. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, 
And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, it's that time again. It's time for Listener Trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Uh, Doug, we somehow got one right on our last show, so I think that means we're batting, what, a 1,000 in spring training? Is that pretty much what you hit in your career in the spring? Well, you don't forget the 5,000 OPS. I wanted to throw that in there, so, yes. <laughs> yes we're What's doing our that. OPS in trivia? <laughs> yeah, 5,001 in trivia. 5,001? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, we get an extra credit for actually getting the question right. Okay, 5,001, let's go with that. Um, I'm not sure we'll be hitting 1,000 or 5,001 after this week, but that's why we play the games. So let's bring in this week's special trivia guest star. It's Tom Robeson. Tom, welcome back to Starkville. Thanks so much, guys. It's, it's great to be here again. Glad to have you here. Uh, it's your first appearance in quite a while, so let's remind the audience where you're from, what team you root for, what inspired this question? Uh, well, I, I grew up in Philadelphia. I currently live in central Illinois, where I'm a college professor. Uh, but because I grew up in Philadelphia, I am a diehard Phillies fan. Uh, it's it's much better to be a Phillies fan right now than the last time I was on with y'all. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's nice to be in a spring and feeling, I think the word is hopeful. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. You've put out the call for trivia and asked for NL East trivia. And I, yeah, I did. I've got, you know, 30 some years of, of being an NL East <laughs> follower. So I thought I might have something. <laughs> All right. Well, your question's really hard. <laughs> it's harder than I thought it was when I first read it. But 
I think it's time for you to ask it so we can get it wrong. We'll get that part of the show out of the way. So, so Tom, what's, what's your question? I've got faith in you guys this week. So here's the question. There is only one member of the 300 Home Run Club that has played for three of the current NL East franchises. Who is it? Okay. Uh, as I said, when I first saw this, I thought we should definitely get this. And then the more I thought about it, I thought we will definitely not get this. <laughs> so I... I try to think about these teams and go through them one by one. So before we start, can I ask you a question? You did use the word franchise. So I'm just making sure that means this is a player who could have used, who could have played for either the Expos or the Nationals. That's I, right. I have actually only done it for the Nationals. I decided to keep it clean, not dealing with any sort of legacy. So uh, okay. if they played for the Expos, it's not going to be in here. All right. Really? All right. Wow, that my, my best guess, my two best guesses were former experts. So now I'm really confused. Um, okay, well, it so... It doesn't have to be the Nationals, though, because it's three no, out of, of the five. Right, yeah. okay. So, but, all right, just since we're there, this might be a hint, but is this a guy who played in this era of the NL East, or is it possible he played before there was any such thing as, like, the Marlins? I don't know. It's spring training, hopes eternal. Sure, I'll give you the hint. Yes, it's the current era. Okay. Hmm. All right, Doug. I, you know, I was thinking a little bit more back in time. The first guy I thought of was Moise Salou. Uh, played for the Marlins, played for the Expos. Not sure he was ever a Met. I'm going to say no, but he did get around. And I don't, like, he, he was never a national, so he's out. And then I was thinking, I, then I decided it had to be Andres Galarraga. Mm. Definitely a Brave, definitely yeah. an Expo. I was almost sure he was a Marlin. He must have hit 300 home runs. So that I, I was all locked in on that. I stopped thinking. I did write down some other names, but again, they're guys pre-Nationals. Ron Gant, Jay Bruce, no, Ooh, Tony Perez, Gary Carter. I mean, they, I know they played for two teams. I don't know Carter. if they played for a third in the division. Jay Bruce, um, that's interesting. All right. Hey, before I turn this over to you, one other thing I think we should take as a hint is Tom did pick 300 homers. Yes. So did he do that just to make this harder or did he do it because this is a guy who hit between 300 and 400? My guess is it's somebody who was in the 300s. Yes. That sounds good. Who's that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what did you come up with? If all my if, if there's no expos here, then I'm really in trouble. Okay. Well, I mean, I was just trying to think of who played for these three teams, and I mean, now of course you know I have a tremendous blind spot for my own era, so that's that's going to be a problem. But um, so I'm hoping yeah, he didn't. We didn't know play. this. <laughs> yeah, this guy came from your era on. Well, hopefully I didn't play with him at least. That's what I'm thinking. You know, so I could be wrong, but I'm thinking about this. Well, all right, here's, here, I'm going to throw some names out. You know, we should go with the usual suspects that have played for everybody. What about, like, a Nelson Cruz? Did he play for all these teams? That's somebody I thought about. You know, let's think uh, about that. Played for the Expos. Who else did he play for? He didn't play for the Mets. Didn't did, play he for the for, did he play for the Nationals? He played for the Nationals. He played for, yeah, I know. I, yeah, he played for the uh, Nationals. Oh, no Mets. No, no Marlins. No he Marlins, played for the Marlins. No Mets, no Phillies. No, no Braves. I mean, no. he played for everybody, so. All right, what about... This was the wild card I thought about, Edwin Encarnacion, because he had 
That's a lot of home runs, right? Didn't he play for like everybody? Braves? Didn't he play for the Braves? Definitely the Marlins. The thing is, he got to be a DH so fast. Yeah, but I mean, he played for a ton of teams. Yeah, okay. All right, you like that one? Maybe? Maybe? <laughs> I think. Uh, uh, I don't remember him playing for the Braves. I don't remember. He didn't play for the Phillies. Marlins, Nationals. When did he play for the Nationals? Uh, who else you got? <laughs> uh, what about like, Gary Sheffield? Did he play for a lot of his team? Gary Sheffield's always a good guess. Braves, for sure. Marlins, for sure. Yeah, so at least Mets, for sure. Did he? Okay. he, did, he was, wasn't he a Met? Definitely a Yankee. He was definitely a Yankee. I like that uh, one. You like that one? Okay. That's our. That's that's the best name. Beltran? <laughs> dredged up so Carlos, Carlos Beltran? No. Mets? Uh, uh. I remember he was traded like 12 times in one offseason. I thought he See, I thought I, about Piazza because he was Mets and Marlins yeah. in a week. Same week. I, I did. <laughs> but but on he, yeah, that's it. That's, that, no what, about like, for him. what about like Pudge Rodriguez? Did he have 300 runs? Or Conine? Any of those guys? 300 home runs? Sounds like a lot. Uh... Conine went Marlins, Phillies, and Mets. I don't, know if he had, right? Did, he I don't, might I don't think he would he have hit three hundred. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a good guess. And Pudge, guess, right? I don't think Pudge, Pudge. got to three hundred. Mm. All right, I like the Gary Sheffield right. pick. It's probably wrong, but I, I you like Sheffield? Yeah, I do. Oh, um, all right. So, all I Doug, I know you like to complain some weeks that we need to come up with too many answers. Four, five, six. Don't like those too many. <laughs> no, this but is good. That's because because I feel like I've been made made educated guesses. That that makes me feel good. Right, but okay. When it's one, yeah, isn't it even harder because either we get it right or we go up in flames as we well, usually do. Well, we don't I get partial like, credit. But I feel like we get it wrong with 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 flair and grace and class when it's one because <laughs> we're like, all right, yeah, that was a pretty good guess, you know. Oh, okay, flair, That's, grace, class. Let's go with that. Um, yes. All right, Tom. Is there any chance that the answer to this is Doug Glanville's pick, Gary Sheffield? So here's the fun thing, guys. You're right, <laughs> and I had it wrong. There's two of them, and I just looked it up. Chef makes it. You've got Gary Sheffield. You are correct. Oh, we got two. Oh, wait a minute. We got two answers. All right. <laughs> Producer failure on this one, too, because oh, I Oh, wow. Yeah. What's that it's thing? Like, it's, like, it's like the pitch clock. It's like okay, technicality. Wait, wait, wait. I love this it. Is, this is a whole new development <laughs> here in Starkville where we get the question right and the guy who asked the question and the producer get it wrong. I love this. <laughs> yeah, this I'm, is the this greatest is new... trivia segment ever. I, I, missed, this... I missed Chef in a Met right there at the end of his career. Yeah. Oh, wow. wow how about that? that? All right. Beautiful. But now, who was the other? Right, who is the other? Like, he doesn't count I guess now. Him, I guess. You're never going to get the other one. <laughs> never going to get the other it, one. Wait, wait. Someone like what? Like Steve Finley or someone like that? All right, let's think about like... All right, yeah. We'll be no, we're not going to answer it. We, 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 like, let's just rest on yeah. our laurels, okay? We, yeah, like, we go. got yeah. the one Same we're supposed one. to get. Yeah, you, the rest is all hard. on them. Uh, you want to hear the other one? Yes. yes. The other one is very randomly Jose Batista who played for oh, Atlanta, the Phillies, and the Mets Phillies. all in the same season. It was like the same right. week. That's right. That is yeah. so wild. And he did homer Jeez. for all three of those teams during that season. He yeah, did? He, he only had, he, he had one for the Phillies. Like he, had, right. he had two for the Phillies, like okay. nine for the Mets or something. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I, that, 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 yeah, he had one on that run, like same season. Yeah, that yeah, was, that's that, last that, season that, of his career. Wild. Yeah, 
All right, so how, well, all right, case, let me just get a ruling. All right, does this make us two for two this spring? Yeah, oh, yeah. you guys, oh, you yeah. guys got it right. Absolutely, you're two <laughs> oh, for yeah. two this spring, <laughs> wow. and two for four on the year, which is pretty good too. Mm. Yeah, it must be the grouper sandwiches, huh? Two for two yeah, in the spring. Absolutely. All right. Well, the best news, best news of the day is the portion of the segment that involves us is over, <laughs> and the best part of the segment is now because that's the part where we bring in the mayor of Starkville. Tim McMaster to play some fabulous play-by-play clip involving one of this week's answers, and I guess we know which one. It is. <laughs> Tim, what do you got? It is not Gary Sheffield. It is no. Jose Batista, and we went with a fitting one because who was our guest this week? Gary Cohen. So we're going to go with his Mets, one of his Mets home runs. In fact, Jose Batista's only career walk-off home run came with the Mets. That was back. Uh, July sixth, twenty eighteen. Frazier carried the winning run at third with two out. Batista sucks one to deep left field, and this ball game is over. A walk-off grand slam for Jose Bautista, the first walk-off home run of his major league career. Hmm. Not just a walk-off, a wow. walk-off slam for nice. the Mets. They walked and Nimmo a- to get to him. Oh, slapping the face! How'd that work out? <laughs> All right, Tom, what a great question. Uh, can't tell you how much we appreciate your taking the time to yeah. come up with a question and join us here in Starkville. So thank you, my friend. Thanks, guys. It's really a pleasure. Sliding, catching, and going into the dugout. Hey, what do you say we take another trip to the dugout? Uh, that's where Doug Glanville hangs out this time of year and imparts his always amusing brand of baseball wisdom on us and usually we ask Doug to tell us stories in the dugout but this week uh, let's just say Doug had so much he wanted to riff on about the clock off game that we're going to go right back to that well because it's bottomless it really is <laughs> okay so uh, let's let's start with uh, terminology Doug in that in that yes. clock off game because instead of the strikeout looking uh, this is a Scott Fransky line. We had the strikeout yes. not looking. So what? What's the uh, what's the symbol and the terminology for the strikeout not looking? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. I was totally unprepared for the moment, but I did happen to have time to draw a new logo. You did, and uh, yeah, and I, you know, I have to give a. I don't know what the copyright infringement questions are, uh, because I did live in an area that had the circle K, but I think this is the new strikeout for when you get <laughs> clocked out. Okay. <laughs> So you, you see what I did here? There's a circle, and then you put a K in there, and then you put the time stamp around. So that is going to be the clock off strikeout. So I think we have the backwards K, we have the regular K, and now we have the strikeout by clock. And I think it just makes perfect sense. I put the 60 seconds. I should probably have it like eight seconds or something like that. I am open to uh, new interpretation. So uh, so we're going to start with that. So Because I, I was having trouble with my scorebook. I was like, I want to describe what happened, and I can't do it with a K or a backwards K. That doesn't make sense. So I figured I'd combine the two elements with the Circle K, which is a, a franchise out there. So um, we can work out the licensing agreement at some point. Uh, if not, if Circle K cancels this, then I will turn the K on its side, and I will lay it down, and then it will, the, the K part will face upwards. This is the new symbol. You put it in your scorebook, and it tells a story in the picture. So I think we're we're going to go with this. It right does. Fr- Fransky uh, texted me a, 
uh, a picture of an upside down K asleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I like that. that. That would also work. Um, yes, all right, here's another work. terminology question, and this is one yes. that I struggled with after that game. Can we say a guy, quote unquote, drew a walk when he walked on a pitch that was never thrown? That's what he thought he did. He didn't technically yeah. do it. Well, this is obvious. I mean, you, you've already stated it, so I'm just going to restate it. it. It is a sleepwalk. Okay, you you didn't walk, you sleptwalk. So we're just going to combine the two and call it a sleepwalk. You didn't know what happened, you didn't you didn't earn it. You just woke up on first base, and it's, that's how we sum it up. So we get one of those hats and we put the Z's over it on the scorebook. So if you have the circle K, the the sleepwalk sign will be a walk. The double B, they'll be shaped like beds. There will be sheep involved. And there'll be Z's over it. And that's what you put in your scorebook. So very easy. I like that a lot. That, that <laughs> There is some sleepwalking involved, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. Well, what about the two-strike strikeout? Because that's what actually happened in that game. What do we want to do about that? Well, I think of it sort of, uh, we were always wondering, because, of course, this is the stuff that excites us, that when, whenever the ghost runner or the zombie runner or whatever they call the Manford man, goes on second base, to lead off the inning, and then guy hits a home run. It's a leadoff two-run homer. Yes. So we have to we have to work with that kind of framework. So I think we think of it as the two-strike strikeout. Or I, I'm really excited about the possibility that someone could strike out for three pitches in a row, all on clock violations. That's what I want to understand. Uh, and I think it's instead of just coming up with a term, I think you get a sponsor out of that. If you strike out with three pitches without swinging the bat or a pitcher throwing the ball. It's like almost like an intentional walk. It's like an intentional strikeout. So we're going to have to come up with um, a, a term to sum it up. But I do like the sort of intentional strikeout. Uh, and I don't know where the credit goes, but all of a sudden you're just out. And that's what happened to the Braves and lesson learned. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, here, here's another one. You, I mean, you kind of touched on this with your flag concept. But yes. here's what I've noticed. When there's one of these timer violation calls, and I've seen a few, nobody knows what the heck was just called. There's no announcement. There's nothing. It's just a lot of arm waving. Uh, How should the officials signal these calls to get our attention? Like Besides flags, is there anything you think they can learn from the other sports? Well, I, I do like the flag. I was thinking that the flag could be also like a challenge. I think you go the other way on it you should be able to challenge time itself. You say, well, was it eight seconds or was it 7.5 seconds? I mean, like think about basketball for a second. You know when you, you have the 10 seconds to get over the half court when you're dribbling up. And you know how the, the referee just kind of counts out with his arm? One, two. Is that exactly one second? It probably isn't. So if you appealed that, I think he would lose in a court of law, just like appealing a ticket. <laughs> So I think there needs to be a challenge flag. As I mentioned earlier, it should be, of course, the color of molasses since we're talking about time and slowness. And then maybe you have a black hole involved there. And then from there, you I said the other option would be completely selfish and you make it a Trinidadian flag in, in honor of my dad. So I'll, I'll accept that as the Trinidadian flag would symbolize challenging time itself. I feel like we have actually challenged time itself. It doesn't go that well, though. Yeah, Time always wins the challenge, but that's a whole other topic. All right, well, one more. Uh, this is actually very similar vein. Is there some way that you think teams can avoid these delay of game calls altogether? 
Uh, you know, you can't step out of the box now if you're the hitter. You can't step off the mound if you're the pitcher. you have any good ideas for what teams can do? Absolutely. Uh, I, I can confirm but unconfirm that the Tampa Bay Rays are working on this as we speak. <laughs> and it's very simple. Time travel. It's just time travel. Uh, so just imagine you could actually control the time and therefore people have no idea. And if you freeze it in some way, then the clock doesn't tick, right? It's just like, and that's how we were playing baseball before the clock, right? It was just, it was endless time. It was infinity. So if you control time now and everybody else is walking around like zombies and not knowing what's going on, once the Rays come up with a way to control time, you're, you're going to win 162-0. and 0. So I, I think that's the simple solution. And whether you have to go back to the future and, and call, you know, Marty McFly and find a DeLorean that goes into 1985, whatever it takes, I think that's the clear answer to how to get ahead in the time strategy spectrum. Yes. Well, like if you could actually do that, um, you could use it for way more than just avoiding – like time clock violations you you would go back in time to before you hung that slider wouldn't you (laughs) you know like that you know that's that old steve goodman song uh videotape uh if you're if you ever if your life was on videotape everything would be in great shape or something and if your head hurt the morning after you'd roll it back to late last night that that whole thing that's kind of where you're at now um i don't think we've gotten time travel past eight seconds yet but well, if we get past that, then we'll have a new discussion, and MLB would have to reconvene and uh, limit time travel. So, I understand that. <laughs> I, you want to be a member of the time travel committee? You should be. Uh, l- listen, everybody, when you're confused by the rules and you don't know who to call, you know who you should turn to, right? <laughs> it's not even a question. Doug Glanville. He's got all all the answers. He's always had all the answers. And here's the good news. Doug will be performing this act right here all season long on Starkville. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all spring training long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the incredible spring training coverage in the Athletic, you know, you've come to the right place. If you just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe for just $1.99 a month for the next 12 months. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show, we pick some fun listener trivia question. Then that lucky listener gets to join us right here and prove once again There's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong unless the guy asking the question gets it wrong, which apparently sometimes happens. (laughs) I digress. If you'd like to join us, you can email us a question at Starkville at theathletic.com. We've got some email questions backlogged, so we'll get to them. Or you can find us at the Twitter. Doug Glanville is still findable at the Twitter. Am I right, Doug? I am. Uh, It is at... Doug Glanville, very, very unique right there. D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Hit me. <laughs> as long as you can spell, you're in good shape. You don't have to spell my whole name, just the first name. At J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Jason with a Y-S-T. Please remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. 
Thanks to Gary Cohen for visiting us. Thanks to Tom Robeson for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Doug and I will be seeing you soon on Starkville. Starkville.